gentlemen boys and girls welcome to the we know baseball podcast hosted by myself yours truly my name is ryan at ryan knows ball on twitter at we know ball sports all across social media this show specifically we know baseball a derivative of the we know sports franchise brand whatever you want to call it we've done a little bit of rebranding right those of you who know our content have listened to our content know who I am, know who we are, done a little bit of a rebrand. We know ball because we do know ball. On top of that, we know baseball. I know baseball. And we wanted to have the we know ball brand. We also wanted to have we know baseball because baseball is our, or at least my number one primary favorite sport. And we love to talk about it. We love to rant about it. And Coincidentally, on this 38th episode of the rebranded We Know Baseball podcast, coincidentally, as much as I say I know about baseball, there's a lot to talk about in the world of baseball. And there's a lot to talk about with the team that I love and root for and support, and that is the San Diego Padres. But we'll get into that in a little bit here. We'll, we'll cover ex- exactly how we do it in most typical situations. Go over the standings. We'll go over uh, the trending topics on Major League Baseball, in Major League Baseball. Uh, we'll talk about a lot of different stuff, man, because we got all kinds of stuff coming in from all-star rankings to power rankings to big series to watch. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, But ultimately, to me at least, and we've covered this in a few different podcast episodes, there's been some things and some underlying themes so far this season. And we'll get into that. As we head over here to the baseball standings, we'll take a look really quick here at what we've got so far in the Major League season. So the team with the best record has been the team with the best record all year long, and they, they may not be the best team in baseball for long. There's a few teams catching up to them. But Tampa Bay in the American League East sits at 54 and 27. They got a plus 150 run differential. Those guys are playing ball out of their mind. They're a really good baseball team. They pitch, they hit, they do all the different things uh, that you would expect and hope to see from a team that's got the best record in baseball. Baltimore Orioles are in second, 49, uh, 47 and 29. Yankees are 43 and 35. Blue Jays are 43 and 36. Red Sox are 40 and 39. Everybody in the American League East is above 500. And that's really impressive. That's really, really impressive. Definitely, based on that by itself, they're the best team, uh, best division in baseball is the American League East. And it's not close. Minnesota leads the AL Central and they're game over 500. They have the same record as the Boston Red Sox and they're 40 and 39, and yet they lead their division. Make it make sense? I can't. I can't, right? Minnesota and Cleveland are fighting for that first place position in the American League Central. Cleveland is 37 and 40. And then the rest of that division, the Tigers, the White Sox, and the Royals, they're all really bad. So they're all irrelevant. They're all at least 10 games under 500, some of them more than that. In the American League West, the Rangers are 47 and 30. 
Really solid team. Plus 152 on the run differential. That is best in baseball. They're pitching it really well, and they are just absolutely smashing the baseball. I mean, they're just smashing the baseball. The Rangers this year, offensively, have the capability far and away to win the World Series. Far and away. If you would have told me that before the season, I don't think I would have believed you. Not that I don't think the Rangers have a lot of good weapons on offense, but sitting here almost at the All-Star break, telling me that the Rangers offensively are the best team in baseball offensively, I don't think I would have believed you. Yeah, you have Marcus Simeon. Yeah, you have Corey Seager. Yeah, you got Adolis Garcia. Some guys that have sort of proven track records, but also guys that have had some struggles combined with a bunch of other guys in the lineup that are question marks coming into the season. And the Rangers are just straight up, we don't care. Rangers offensively are a serious problem for anybody they play against. And as it, as it turns out with the new format of baseball and the pitch clock and all these different things considered and the way the game has just changed so far this season, the Rangers are a legitimate threat to win the American League entirely and go to the World Series, potentially win it all. And they don't even have Jacob DeGrom. DeGrom's done nothing for them this year. And they're still just pumping out win after win after win after win. Really impressive from the Rangers, or at least what I've seen so far here in the first half of 2023. The Astros are 42 and 36. They're second place in the AL West. You know, they're probably going to find themselves in the playoffs. It's, it's a team, again, proven track record type squad. They're pretty good. The Angels are 42 and 37. The Angels have played some pretty good baseball this year also. Offensively, uh, they've played pretty well. They've had some choke jobs as of recently, and it's not its not something that you'd like to see if you were an Angels fan and you also want to be keeping Shohei Otani. When you go to tech, uh, you go to Colorado, rather, and you play the Rockies and you outscore them by like 20 runs in a three-game set and you lose two out of three. Not a great look. Seattle's 37 and 39. Uh, Mariners fans, I'm sorry, but uh, I think you guys are going to be on the outside looking in come postseason time. It is what it is. Oakland's 20 and 60. They're horrible. Moving on to the National League. Braves are 50 and 27. Braves are a really good baseball team. Braves absolutely smashed the baseball. Braves haven't had one single guy in their starting rotation stay healthy, stay contributing at a consistent high level for the entire year. And they're 50 and 27. The Braves absolutely destroy the baseball. They absolutely destroy the baseball. And it doesn't stop. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about the approach for those guys. I don't know if it's just a bunch of, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, the, the players in their lineup are definitely very talented. Ronald Acuna is great. Austin Riley's great. Matt Olson's great. Uh, Ozzie Albies is great. Sean Murphy's great. I mean, I guess they just assembled a team of a bunch of guys that don't strike out very often that do damage. I don't know if it's a wholehearted organizational approach. I, I don't know what, what the answer is to the Braves' offensive success, but I'm going to tell you also, the Braves right now should be everybody's pick to represent the National League in the World Series. They haven't had any of their starting pitching dudes be dudes all year. Max Freed got hurt a couple times, and when he's pitched, he's been okay, but he hasn't been like an ace. Charlie Morton, eh. Spencer Strider started off good, eh, petered off. Doesn't matter. Braves have been unfazed. Win, 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 win. 
Not to mention they have Ian Anderson and Mike Soroka just sitting in the minor leagues. Huh? You mean the guys that were pitching for them in big-time postseason games last year? You mean Mike Soroka, who won Rookie of the Year or came in second Rookie of the Year like two years ago? Oh, yeah, those guys? Yeah, they're not even in the rotation. And the Braves just win, 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 win. Heads up, Braves are going to the World Series. I would almost guarantee it. Miami Marlins, 45 and 34. Huh? What? Huh? Miami Marlins, minus 15 run differential. And yet, they are 11 games over 500. Huh? What? How is that possible? I mean, really, how? I know the Marlins are something crazy. They're like freaking 17 and three in one run games, which would explain that combined with they had a few games early in the season. The Marlins had a, a few games early in the year where they like got just destroyed, got blown out. And that may be skewing the run differential slightly too. But I also think water will always find its level. And I think the Marlins end up finishing around or slightly below 500. That being said, good for the Marlins. They're doing it the right way. They're developing young talent. They're calling up the pitching that they planned on calling up. And they're getting offensive production, maybe a little bit more than usual, from maybe some suspects that they weren't necessarily expecting to be this good. Right? I mean, you got, obviously, Luis Arise has always been a very good hitter, but hitting 400, I don't think that was ever expected of him. Brian De La Cruz is hitting over 300. That guy's been really good for them. Jesus Sanchez has been good for them. You know, I mean, heads up, Marlins, maybe they sneak into the playoffs, especially with the way the National League's looking this year. The Marlins could find themselves very easily competing for a postseason spot come September, come October. Phillies are 40 and 37. They've bounced back significantly. Seven and three in their last 10. They started off the year really slow, kind of amongst uh, the rest of the guys with the Mets and the Padres and these teams that are underperforming that we'll get to. Um, but the Phillies, good for them. Phillies look like a team that wants to be around for a while. And they're playing a little bit better. Offensively, they're hitting the ball a little bit better. They're pitching it a little bit better. They should be fine. I think they'll probably find themselves in the playoffs in that 5-6 seed somewhere in the National League. And right underneath them, the New York Mets. The New York Mets. We'll get to them in a second, but they're 35-42. and 42. Yep, that's not good. That's seven games under 500. Oh, wait. Aren't they the number one payroll team in baseball? Yes, they are. Oh, and they're seven games under 500. Yes, they are. Yikes. We'll get to them in a second. Nationals are 30 and 47, bottom of the NL East. They stink. Oh, except for they just beat the Padres two out of three, but we'll get to that. Cincinnati, 41 and 37. They are leading the National League Central. How in God's name are the Cincinnati Reds leading the National League Central? How? Oh, that's right. Because they have a bunch of young, controllable, 
motivated, nothing to lose, talented players on their roster combined with a handful of guys who are veterans who could come into that clubhouse and lead all those guys I just mentioned before into a situation where they could probably find a little bit of sustained success. Like, what about, oh, I don't know, an 11-game win streak? And what about, here's a crazy concept, the Reds calling up all those young, controllable, talented guys and just throwing them in the lineup every day, letting them get big league experience, letting them get at-bats, late-game situational at-bats, big league reps, and wouldn't you know, it's come to prove a ton of success for the Cincinnati Reds baseball team so far this season. Is it sustainable? Maybe. Are the Reds going to win the World Series this year? Probably not. But the NL Central stinks. The National League as a whole isn't very good. So the Reds could very, very easily find themselves in the postseason, scrambling up a couple of different playoff brackets, facing off against the one seed, and maybe taking them five games. Maybe beating them. Probably not. But maybe keep an eye on the Reds this year. Milwaukee's 40 and 37. They're a half game right behind Cincinnati. Uh, Milwaukee is just such a meh team. They're just meh. Yeah, they're three games over 500. Maybe they end up winning this, the National League Central at some point. But man, they are just so boring to watch. I mean, they just don't score a lot of runs. Um, they have the fewest runs scored in that entire division. Ugh, God. They just, they pitch it pretty well, but man, just yikes. Uh, their expected win-loss is 36 and 41. I mean, they're playing four games better than their expected win-loss. That's going to have to catch up with them at some point, right? Uh, Cubs are under 500. They're not great. Pittsburgh's under 500 after a blazing hot start. They're not great. And then the Cardinals are just washed. I mean, the Cardinals season, they're 32 and 45. Their season's over. Wow. And that's shocking, but their season's over. Lastly, the National League West. Okay. Arizona Diamondbacks, 47 and 32, plus 36 run differential. Uh, the National League West is an interesting division because there's a bunch of teams in there that are, you know, um, competitive, I guess, right? Um, where, yeah, you know, they could, they could ultimately end up finding themselves like that division could very easily pull three or four teams out of it to get into the postseason. But at the same time, I don't think it will. I think the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers will probably end up competing for those two top spots. And maybe the Dodgers ultimately outlast them. The Dodgers are only three games back. The Dodgers are in uh, third place. So it goes Diamondbacks at 47 and 32, first place. San Francisco, 44 and 34 in second place. Dodgers, 43 and 34, third place. Then the Padres, 37 and 41. And the Rockies, 31 and 49. I don't know what to make. And we'll get into the Padres here. But I think the National League West might be the most intriguing division in baseball besides the American League East. The difference is 
the American League East has a bunch of big market teams with playoff and potential World Series aspirations. Every team theoretically has World Series and playoff aspirations, right? The Rockies did come into the year, but everybody knew the Rockies weren't going to be great, and they're not. They're 31 and 49. The, the Rockies aren't going to sniff postseason baseball. They're they're the laughing stock of of a lot of parts of the league. But the Padres in fourth, the Dodgers in third, the Giants in second, and the D-backs in first. You would have told me at the pretty much the end of June, potentially at the All-Star break, the division standings in the NL West would go D-backs, Giants, Dodgers, Padres. I would have said, you're out of your mind. A month ago, I would have said, that makes a little bit more sense. Now, the Dodgers are 10 games over, or nine games over 500. That's fine. 30, uh, 43 and 34. They're only three games back, right within striking distance, right? I mean, they, even if they, they're they in that position and those guys go up against each other, the Dodgers could sweep them and take over that first place position, right? I mean, very easily. But what stands out to me is that the Giants and the, and the D-backs, these two teams that, again, Nobody expected anything out of these guys, and they've just come out and played nothing but inspired, carefree, nothing-to-lose baseball. The Giants, two years ago, yeah, they won 100-something games. To be honest, a little bit fluky. This year, coming into the year, I mean, yeah, they sort of had the guys, I guess. But you're, you got an old Brandon Crawford. You got a Mitch Haniger, who you can't count on to stay healthy. You got a Michael Conforto who hasn't played a ton of ball in the last two years. I don't know. Taylor Rogers, bullpen piece. And yet, here they are. Half a game better than the Dodgers. You know, 78 games into the season. I don't know what to make of it. Is it sustainable? Their run differential tells me yes. I think it's more sustainable for a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks because They've scored more runs, and offensively, they're the best team in this division overall as a whole. The Dodgers have good offensive players. They also have bad offensive players. The D-backs, like, don't have anybody in their lineup, at least so far throughout the season at this point, where I'm like, oh, yeah, auto out, or, yeah, he's probably not going to get a hit. Like, you go through that lineup one through nine, those guys in Arizona Again, organizationally, must have all bought into this approach. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's early swings. I don't know if it's it's first pitch swings. I don't know if it's two-strike approach, shortening up, uh, you know, getting in the pitch, the pitch call. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But there seems to be this league-wide situational approach with teams like Texas, teams like Arizona, teams like Atlanta, where those guys had it got it figured out. They got it figured out. And in the case of the D-backs, I mean, they have the same amount of runs scored as the Dodgers this year. Uh-uh. What? How is that possible? Let's take a look at Team OPS quickly. Team OPS. The Diamondbacks are tied with the Dodgers with the same Team OPS. Guys are hitting the ball. Who has more homers? 
not the D-backs. D-backs are hitting for extra base hits. I don't know what to tell you guys. The D-backs are scrappy. They fight. They pitch the crap out of the ball. They put the ball in play. And if you want to look at uh, strikeouts this year, and you want to sort it in the opposite direction, guess who's third to last in strikeouts, meaning they have the third fewest? That's right. It's the Arizona Diamondbacks. Put the ball in play. They hit the ball hard when they do swing. They don't swing for the fences. They hit balls in the gap. They backspin balls. They put the ball in play with runners in scoring position. They do all the things that you would indicate or, or hope to have out of a team that's going to be playing for a World Series. That's the D-backs. And before we get into the Dodgers, before we get into, or I'm sorry, before we get into the Padres, before we get into the Mets and the Cardinals, okay, before we get into that, and, and I just touched on it with the, the D-backs originally, or at least uh, initially, I should say. I think there's something that that's going on, and I don't know what it is. These teams, man, I don't know what it is. Team OPS in baseball. I need I need I need somebody to explain it to me. I need somebody to explain it to me. I I hope and dream and pray for at the end of this season. Something comes out because statistically, okay, let, let me let me start with this. There isn't one statistical category, at least in the sport of baseball, where you could come out and say, okay, if this team does this well, they will be good on offense, right? Whether it's like if this team, you know, if a team hits a lot of homers, they will be good because sometimes that's not true. If a team doesn't strike out a lot, they will be good. And that's not true. I mean, the team with the fewest strikeouts, I think, this year is like the Nationals, and they stink, right? If a team uh, gets on base a lot, they will be good because that's not true. If you sort this season by on-base percentage, you find the Red Sox in sixth, and they're not very good. They're a game above 500, right? The Cubs are 10th, you know, like there's just, there's not one thing where you could sit back and go, oh, if this team does this exact one specific thing, well, they're going to be a good offensive team. But what you can do is say, you know, OPS as a whole, but that includes slug, that includes on base, that includes basically hitting for average, homers, doubles, all the different things. That means, oh, you're good. The you are being good, like you're being a good team. My question is, what is the philosophical difference on offense? Because you have a team like the Rays, who are pretty solid, the Braves, who are pretty solid. But even then, like you can look at the Braves lineup and go, okay, Acuna, Olsen, Murphy, Albies, uh, I don't know. Rosario, Riley, like these guys are good. They're really good. Some of the guys I just listed. 
So it sort of makes sense. When you look at t a team like the Braves, and you're like, oh, okay, the Braves, they got good enough players and probably, uh, you know, four or five guys that are really good kind of carrying the rest of that team and maybe lifting them up. Tampa Bay? Yeah, I guess. You got Oda or Rosarena. And I don't, I, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they have a lot of notable guys. Brandon Lau, Josh Lowe, uh, Jose Siri. But like a guy like Jose Siri, he was a, a basically nothing nobody for the longest time. Kind of a speed guy off the bench defensive replacement. Now all of a sudden, he's got double-digit homers. Everybody on the Rays has double-digit homers. The Rangers are piss-pounding the ball. Again, yeah, Seager, Simeon, uh, I, I don't know, uh, the catcher they got from, from tech, uh, you, you know who I'm talking about, and I'm, I'm completely drawing a blank. Again, Adolis Garcia, um, they have the players, but then, like, Josh Jung gets called a prospect. He's immediately smashing the ball. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe, he gets called up, or he becomes a a consistent contributor to this team, and he's just smashing the ball. Or the Diamondbacks, with just tons and tons of young, young, young talent. And they're all just smashing the ball. Right? We knew Corbin Carroll would be good. Would he be this good? Would he be an MVP candidate? I doubt anybody picked him to win MVP coming into the year. We knew Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was solid on Tampa Bay. Did you guys know he'd start the All-Star game or potentially start the All-Star game? No. Nobody knew or thought that was coming. Cattell Marte has been amazing for them. Geraldo Perdomo at shortstop has been amazing for them. Gabriel Moreno at catcher has been amazing for them. Christian Walker's been steadily very solid contributing for them. Evan Longoria has had a resurgence in Arizona. And my point is, I don't know what the definitive answer is to this question, but the question comes, what are these teams doing at the top of the offensive production scale across the league in Major League Baseball? What are the top teams doing that these other teams are not doing? And is it quantifiable? Can you sit back and say, oh, yeah, uh, the Braves, you know, are swinging at more hitter advantage fastballs or they're hitting fastballs better than the rest of the league or they're hitting breaking. You know what I mean? Like, is there a stat? And I'd be curious to find out if there was a stat that you could link up all these teams together with. Oh, you know, who, you know who hits breaking balls really well this year, hypothetically, the Braves, the Rays, the Rangers, and the D-back. Oh, okay. Well, then there you go. That's your stat. Or you know who doesn't take middle-middle pitches, right? Who has a high swing percentage on, uh, what's the what's the statistic, on the heart pitches on baseball savant? You know who has a high, you know who has a high percentage swing rate on heart percent? The Braves, Rangers, Rays, and Okay, okay. My point is, I don't know what that what that stat is, but clearly there's a concerted effort from whatever the approach standpoint is by those top teams that's being implemented, that's not being implemented by some of the other teams in the league. Clearly. Let me look at Team OPS. The Orioles and the Cardinals 
have the same team OPS. The Cincinnati Reds have a higher team OPS than the Cardinals, the Padres, the Mets, the Astros, the Yankees, the Mariners. And my question is, how and why could that possibly be happening? There has to be an explanation. And I don't know what it is, but if you're one of those teams that's towards the bottom in OPS and you haven't taken your entire offensive unit and sat them down and just watched at-bats from those top OPS teams or sent some statistician or some member of your organization, sent them away and said, dude, we are locking you in a closet for the next 48 hours, providing you with meals and bathroom breaks. But ultimately, you need to dig into why the Rays and the Rangers and the Diamondbacks and the Reds and the Braves are having offensive success and us as the Mets or the Cardinals or the Phillies or the Padres, we aren't. And yet we all have higher payrolls than all those different teams. We're the New York Mets and we're 17th in team OPS. We're the Yankees and we just finished the month of June dead last in batting average. Or we're the Padres and we're dead last overall in batting average. How are these teams not dedicating a one guy, five guys, a full team of employees to deep diving into why they stink and these other teams at the top of the offensive production stats and leaderboards in Major League Baseball, why those teams are having success? If I was the Mets and I had the payroll I did, or I was the Yankees and I was the Yankees, or if I was the Padres spending number three in payroll, and I'm looking up on the offensive leaderboards at the Diamondbacks and the Reds and the Rangers, I'd be taking a group of 10 dudes and saying, come back to me in 48 hours. I'll pay you whatever you guys need in compensation over the next 48 hours to come back with answers to me about why the Reds and the Diamondbacks and the Rangers are better offensively than we are. Why? And as soon as you get those answers, as soon as you find out the definitive reasoning why those teams are better, because I don't have the answer. I don't know what it is, but there has to be something. And maybe there isn't a stat. Maybe one of those 10 guys you send away in the room, one of those guys you send away comes back and goes, listen, we couldn't, there, there's no stats that we could find. There's nothing. It, it's it, everything looks about the same, but I will tell you, I watched every at bat. The Rangers just, you know, have taken this so far this year. They just look more comfortable or they're getting in the box quicker with the new pitch clock. So they're more ready to go. And, and again, I don't know the answer. I don't know what it is. But you got, if you're these teams that are towards the bottom of the offensive production boards and you have high payrolls, <clears throat> Mets, Padres, Yankees, Phillies, Cardinals, Astros. Take a group of 10 guys, a group of uh, 10 employees on your team, lock them in a room for 24 hours, give them bang energy drinks and 12 boxes of pizza and say, come back out in 24 hours and tell me why the Diamondbacks have a better team OPS than we do. 
And I hope some of these teams are, are at least trying to do something like that. Because that's what I would do if I was an executive on these high payroll, underperforming teams. Because if you don't, if you don't adapt, if you don't dive into the analytics and try to give that and spread that information to your team and figure out why you're not having success, you're going to miss the playoffs and it's going to be a, a wasted lost year. It's going to be gone. On that topic, on that topic. And we'll dive in a little bit deeper because we're going to go straight to the Padres specifically, right? A lot of things sort of glaringly uh, stand out for me with the Padres. A lot of things, right? I am a diehard Padres fan. And, you know, again, it's it's starting to get pretty ugly. Potters are 37 and 41. Yeah, they have a positive run differential. Uh, but if you just look at uh, team hitting stats, the Potters are 16th at team OPS. Oh, okay. So they're middle of the pack. What's their team on base percentage? Uh, 14th. Okay, so they're not getting on base that much, so that means they're probably not walking very much. Uh, what are they ranking in the league as far as walks go? Oh, they're they're first. So the, so let me just make sure I get this right. I'm a Padres fan. I root for this team. I want these guys to succeed. I hope they succeed. And so far this season, they lead the entire league. In walks. They lead the league in walks. But somehow, they're 14th in the league in on-base percentage. Well, then what's their... My God, what's their... Where do they rank in team batting? Av oh. Oh, they're hitting 232 as a team, which is good for 25th in the league. So, more than anything... If I was the Padres, if I was, like if I was a, a coach or an, uh, an executive or I was somebody who worked for the team or watched the team every day, like I kind of I do, I would say, I think you guys should probably focus more on trying to get hits than walks because you guys walk more than anybody and you don't get a ton of hits and we're four games under 500. So I think we should change some stuff. I think we should change uh, some stuff. Because what we're doing right now is not working. On top of that, the Padres have had some glaringly obvious issues coming into this year. This is an article from Padres beat reporter Kevin Acey, who covers the Padres from a local, uh, he's the local Padre, the San Diego newspaper. He covers them. Against the fastball this season, let's take a look at some of the star players for the Padres, how they've done previously versus this year against the fastball, which is one of the things if you ask anybody who's ever played baseball at a high level, and especially guys who've played the big leagues, 
one of the first things they'll always tell you, how do you have success in, in the big leagues? Well, the first thing you'll probably hear, well, you probably won't have a ton of success in the league if you can't hit the fastball. Oh, okay. So let's look through it here. Just some names to ring off. Previous two seasons, Bogarts is hitting 320 against the fastball. This year, 220. 100-point difference. Jake Cronenworth against the fastball in the previous two years, hitting 260. This year, 210. Just signed him to a big old contract. Manny Machado, 288, uh, 281 against the fastball last two years, 277. Not bad, but still not great. Uh, Juan Soto, previously in his career, w just never missed fastballs. 331 when he swung. How about 265? Fernando Tatis, 308. How about this year? 286. If I had a brain, if I was a guy with a brain in my head who worked for the Padres, I would simply print out this chart showing that the Padres are horrible against the fastball, and I would deliver it to every single player in their locker individually and say, hey, Jake Cronenworth, you're not hitting the fastball this year. So maybe make an adjustment. It's been 80 games. Change what you're doing, especially against the fastball, whatever that means for you, whether that means cutting down on your leg kick, whether that means getting your foot down on time earlier, whether that means getting in a hitting position earlier, loading your hands, changing your swing, shortening your swing, working against the fastball machine. Xander Bogarts, you're hitting 100 points lower against the fastball this year. I think you should change something so that the, that doesn't continue to happen. Additionally, so far this season, the Padres are 8 and 30 when their opponent scores first. They are 5 and 13 in one run games, 0 oh and 6 in extra inning games, and they are 3 and 31 if they trail after six innings. Oh, and if they score fewer than th three or fewer, they're 4 and 34. All that tells me, all that tells me, is that these guys, in a lot of cases, are just going through the motions. There isn't one guy in the Padres' dugout, in the Padres' clubhouse, and this includes coaches, this includes assistant coaches, bench players, or regulars in the lineup. There's not one guy so far this season for the Padres that you could definitively come out and say, he leads this squad, or this person, or maybe generally speaking, this organization is demanding more out of these guys. Because if there was a guy for the Padres that held everybody accountable, or the organization in general, if they did hold guys accountable, or if there was anybody that led this team, and if the Padres had just like even a little bit of like fight, like any, like just even a little bit of grit, they wouldn't be eight and 30 when the opponent scores first. Cause that tells me, ah, oh, well, well, they scored first. I guess, well, I guess we're done with a team that's got third and payroll, just the pedigree. And again, on paper, 
theoretically should just be blasting baseballs all over the yard. And they're just not. They're just not. This other one cracked me up uh, on YouTube. This was... Let's see. It was from uh, this gentleman. His name is Ben McFadden or Ben Fadden. I'm not entirely um. sure. I can't, uh, and I apologize to him uh, for mispronouncing it, I guess. Or, but, but, but you can find him on Twitter at Talking Friars. He covers the Padres, he talks about the Padres a lot. And he makes a reaction video, whatever. He talks about the Padres. And he does a good job. I like him. I mean, he's he's good. He's, no disrespect. This isn't a dig on him at all. This is actually credit to him, what I'm about to bring up. This guy covers the Padres, talks about the Padres. Uh, and he made a post-game reaction video after the Padres beat the Nationals on Friday the 23rd, 22nd. And the Padres beat the Nationals 13-3. to their second consecutive game scoring at least 10 runs. And it's like, dang, Padres just scored two games in a row, back-to-back 10-run games. Uh, things are looking pretty good for the pods, I guess. I guess maybe they figured something out offensively. And this is uh, what Ben had to say after the game. Yesterday, and I'm sitting here. In a blowout win over the Nationals. Game one of this series, obviously the blowout win yesterday. And I'm sitting here, and it was a great game, but I'm, I'm like, well... It's hard for me to get super pumped up about this win. Like They have shown this season that they have a couple great games like this. They show what they could be. And then the next day, next couple of days, they go right back down to what they've been mostly this season. Like The inconsistency, that's why this team is now two games under 500 still. So he mentions uh, that this team, the Padres, offensively, or as a whole, are entirely inconsistent. And they don't produce consistently. And after a 13-3 win and a second consecutive game of scoring double-digit runs, he says exactly what everybody else was thinking and what actually ended up happening, miraculously, which is, he's like, I'm not super excited about the fact that the Padres just scored a bunch of runs and blew out the Nationals. A, just... All context out of consideration. The team like the pod, a team like the Padres against a team like the Nationals, that's what should happen every single time. Now it's baseball, and of course, things like that don't always happen. But ultimately, the Padres should blow out the Nationals every single time they play them. So you beat them 13 to 3. It's like, okay, good. Good job. Do it again. But there's a lot of hesitation in saying do it again or expecting them to do it again. Because as Ben said, and as all Padres fans have said, they've been inconsistent. And then what happens right after that? It's hard, and it's hard to be excited for a win like this, 13-3, to because we know who the Padres are as a team, and we fully expect them to come out tomorrow and play like dog shit. Oh, wait, and what happened? Oh, they get shut out the next day after scoring 13 runs. How do you explain that? I can explain it very easily. They're complacent. They're lazy. Uh, they're fair weather, and when things are going well, the guys do nothing but just smash the baseball. When things don't go well, or when the other team scores first, the game's over. They roll over as a team. Uh, they're complacent. They have zero. Again, we've talked about it a lot of different times. 
all those unquantifiable statistics and categories and indicators of a team's success, things like grit, things like battling, things like discipline, you can't quantify any of those things in a statistical category. And those are the biggest issues for the Padres. There's nobody in the Padres clubhouse. There's nobody in the Padres dugout. There's nobody in the Padres organization. And this, by the way, as a general overall broad scope of the league, I'll say this as a, as a, I'll, I'll even generalize it. I don't even talk about the Padres. With the Mets and the Padres, and you could even lump in the Cardinals potentially into this conversation. There's nobody on those teams. There's nobody involved in those organizations. There's nobody that has any sort of influence, players, coaches, executives. There's nobody inside the influence of those teams that is capable of just stopping the bleeding, leading the team out of the miserable pit of darkness that they've all led themselves into. There's nobody there. And it's mind-boggling. It's it's the greatest puzzle in maybe the history of baseball that a team like the Mets with a number one payroll and a team like the Padres with a number three payroll and a team like the Cardinals with a historical track record that they carry themselves with the pride and integrity and the fan base, all three of those teams just continue to underperform every single day. And if they don't underperform and they have a day where all things go well and everything clicks and they score 10 runs and they blow out their opponent, you can almost guarantee the next game they're going to get either shut out or score one run. And that's for all those teams. The Cardinals, the Mets, and the Padres. The Cardinals and the fans that I've seen them talking about on Twitter, they, they come out and they, they talk. It's not even the fans. Just forget about the fans. The Cardinals players have been quoted on record after losing games this year saying things like, we're finding new ways to lose what seems to be like every day. Or Buck Showalter for the Mets coming out and saying stuff like, well, I'm still proud of the effort these guys put in. Or the Padres and the fan base and everybody involved pointing out really simply accessible information, stuff like they're bad against the fastball, they're terrible with runners in scoring position, all these different things that everybody knows, everybody sees it. Everybody realizes Francisco Lindor is hitting 220. And yet nothing changes for these teams. None of those teams have a guy that you can count on to come up in a clutch situation and just say, this guy, I know this guy's going to get a hit. I know guys only get hits 30% of the time, but this guy's going to dig his nose in there. He's going to be on time. He's going to battle. He's going to give it everything he has, and he's going to just find a way to come through for this team. None of those teams have guys like that. In fact, in a lot of cases, all these teams, Mets, uh, Mets, Cardinals, Padres, watch them play and tell me they're playing loose, relaxed, carefree, easy. And maybe that's a part of it. Maybe it's those teams are just like, they're just, uh, 
they're playing too tight maybe I, and, and I'm not I don't want to make any excuses for any of those teams because the fact of the matter is Cardinals Mets and Padres so far their performances this year if I was a fan of those teams and I happen to be a fan of the Padres the performances of those teams this year have just been nothing but completely unacceptable completely unacceptable performances it looks like these teams from watching their games because I've watched all these teams play extensively this year it looks to me like all these teams go watch them play looks like they're just kind of going through the motions and then when things don't go well or the other team scores first or their starter just doesn't have it well we'll just get them tomorrow we'll just we'll just get them tomorrow And on the flip side, not too long ago, the Diamondbacks were playing the Phillies. Corbin Carroll, the best offensive player, the best overall player for the Diamondbacks, got hit by a pitch in consecutive at-bats to start the game. First at-bat, he got hit by a pitch. Second at-bat, he got hit by a pitch. And after he got hit by a pitch for a second time, the Diamondbacks manager, Tori Lovello, come out uh, he came out to the umpire, starts yelling at him, asking, saying, this isn't, you should be throwing these guys out. You should be giving warnings to the Phillies. They can't keep hitting our guy. Umpire throws him out. Benches kind of get a little scrappy. You know what it does? It fires up the guys. And I think regardless if Tori Lovello would have came out, it still would have fired him up. And at the point of the second hit by pitch, for Corbin Carroll and Diamondbacks, they were down by like five runs, six runs. They came back and won the game. And I think ultimately what it leads to and what it comes down to, and this is the last thing I'll say, the common denominator the common denominator for these teams like the Mets and the Cardinals and the Padres, as you look at the pedigree of all these players and you go, oh my gosh, the Mets have Lindor, the Mets have Lindor, Starling Marte, Nimmo, Pete Alonzo. The Padres have Tatis, Soto, Machado, Bogarts. Cardinals have Goldschmidt and Arenado. You look at a team like the Padres. And the guys that are underperforming also happen to be the guys who very recently secured their financial longevity of their baseball careers. And I'm not going to name names, but there's a few guys on the teams like the Padres and the Mets who in the recent past have became more financially secure. And they happen to also be the guys that seem to be wildly underperforming. On the contrary, you have players like Juan Soto, players like Fernando Tatis Jr., who, yeah, you know, Tatis has a long-term deal, but he has a lot to prove as far as legacy goes and legitimacy of that contract. He's got to earn that money back because... He's been suspended. He's been hurt. He wants to prove it, and he's done so. Juan Soto hasn't signed that mega deal yet. 
Blake Snell is in the last year of his contract, and it happens to be pitching lights out. Pete Alonso has done nothing but produce, play through injury, and be a dog for the Mets. He hasn't signed anything massively long-term. But the rest of those guys that seem to be underperforming for the Cardinals, the Mets, and the Padres all also seem to be a little bit more secure financially. And I'm not saying these guys aren't trying because, of course, it would be stupid to say they weren't. I, I And I genuinely mean this. I'm not saying that Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado and Jake Cronenworth and Xander Bogarts and Francisco Lindor and Max Scherzer aren't trying. Of course they're trying. Of course. And of course they care. They're not just going out there and just throwing games. They're not just not trying. But if things happen to not go their way or they don't happen to have the same caliber of success as they have previously, or Manny Machado doesn't happen to finish third in MVP voting like he did last year when he coincidentally was playing in the final year of an opt-outed contract that he chose to opt out of and re-sign for a bigger deal. If things don't happen to go as well as they had before the big-time contract, well, I think these guys subconsciously realize, I guess I, I it's just not going my way. Baseball is a hard sport, and I'm getting paid. So I don't think the level of motivation is at the same as the other guys who are still playing to prove something and try to earn their maximum when it comes to financial compensation. That's my main point. Is it a sheer coincidence that last year Manny Machado finished third in MVP voting or actually second? Is it sheer coincidence that Manny Machado finished second in MVP voting in 2022, which is the same year he had the option to opt out of his contract and re-sign somewhere else for more money? And then he re-signs again with the Padres, 10-year contract, $30 million a year. And now he's not playing very well. And it probably is what it is, right? It's probably sheer coincidence that Xander Bogarts just signed a massive contract. And yeah, he's been battling through injury, but also happens to be performing at a historically low clip. Or Francisco Lindor signing a monster 10-year, 11-year contract with the Mets and just happens to be performing at a historically low level. I'm not saying these guys aren't trying. But I am saying I don't think the level of motivation for guys who've been locked up financially, I don't think the level of motivation is at the same level as the other guys who are playing for everything. Additionally, I don't think any of those organizations have one guy, multiple guys, or anybody in general involved in the day-to-day -day operations that will hold these guys truly accountable for their poor performance. Because if the Padres or the Mets or the Cardinals had a guy or multiple people or a GM or a manager that truly held these guys like fully accountable, whether that means benching them if they're not playing well, moving them down in the order if they're not playing well, um, publicly criticizing them or in a lot of cases you don't have to do any of those things that that demoralize the morale of a team but calling them in and saying listen you need to play better 
Because if these teams and these guys had that, then we would see actual quantifiable changes in how these teams are playing. But so far this season, the Padres, Mets, and Cardinals started playing. They, they, the Cardinals, Mets, and Padres started the year playing poorly. They continued to play poorly. And nothing about the way these teams are playing indicates that they're starting to play better. They've started poorly, maintained poor level of play, and will continue to play poorly for the remainder of the year because none of those teams have anybody, single guy in the clubhouse, coaching, GM, front office, whether it's one guy or multiple guys that would come in and hold these guys accountable. And it's really hard to do that because it's a balancing act when you get to that level. You don't want to call the guys out publicly because that's not a good look as a manager. You don't want to bench a guy or do it with his level of play by sliding him down in the order because that's not a good look either. And everybody picks up on it and sees it immediately. So ultimately, there's really not much you can do if you're a manager or a single player. But what it's going to take for those teams is for the guys or one guy or whatever to either get together as a unit or one guy to step up and say, guys, what we are doing right now as a team the New York Mets with the highest payroll being six games under 500, that is not acceptable. We need to play better. You guys need to snap out of it. Have a sense of urgency. Do something different than what you're doing right now. Because whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it is you're doing individually, it's not working. Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor, Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, Jake Cronenworth, it's not working. It needs to change. Otherwise, we're going to miss the playoffs. But ultimately, we haven't seen even a smidge of urgency from any of those teams so far this year because nothing's changed. They started the year playing poorly. They've maintained the low level of play, and they're going to continue to maintain the low level of play unless something drastically changes for those teams. So as far as those fan bases go and all those things considered, I do. I feel bad for the Mets fans. I feel bad for the Cardinals fans. I'm a Padres fan. Things are going well. They're not going to go well. It sucks. It is what it is, but nothing we could do. These teams and these players, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, but it's tough. It's tough scenes. So either way, hopefully you guys enjoyed. Hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, episode 38. We know ball baseball. We we know baseball, part of the We Know Ball Sports media group, podcast, whatever you want to call it. We know baseball. I know baseball at Ryan knows ball on Twitter at we know ball sports all across social media. Be sure to check us out. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Hopefully these guys can snap out of it a little bit, but I guess ultimately we'll find out and we'll see what happens. Uh, but in the meantime, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Got the all-star game coming up. We got voting going out. All kinds of stuff that is great for the game of baseball. And and by the way, it's awesome that the Diamondbacks, the Reds, the Rangers, it, it's good to see new teams mixed in. It is. I think it's exciting, and it's a blueprint for, for these teams maybe towards the bottom that are tanking or not playing well. It's like, hey, you can do it. Do it like the Orioles. Do it like the D-backs. You know, do it like the Rangers. Sign your big boys. Call up your prospects. Get the complimentary pieces. See what happens. And you've seen it firsthand with these teams so far this year. So, Interesting uh, two and a half, three months so far, the first part of the season. Then we got the all-star break, and then we got the home stretch of the baseball season. So hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 38. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Follow us on social media, and uh, we'll see you guys next time on episode 39 
of We Know Baseball podcast.